the Bible is a book not only about the origins of man, it's also our moral guide, our maker's handbook. But it's a predictive book as well about the end of man's rule on earth. Jesus will take over the reins of the world when he returns to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But ironically, the closer we come to the second coming of Jesus, it's increasingly becoming the subject of much scorn, skepticism, and outright mockery, making many spineless churchmen sweep the subject of the second coming under the carpet. Both the Apostle Peter and Jude, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, predicted that in the last days, scoffers will follow their own ungodly desires. One of the most solid doctrines of historic Christianity that they will mock is the second coming of Jesus. So how can we be sure the Lord will return? I'm going to give you at least five undeniable reasons. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the Word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives, and there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word, the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Jesus will come again, and the first reason that I believe he will come again is because he said he will come again, while we witness what he called the birth pains of the end of the age. He is the Lord of truth, and Numbers 23:19 declares that God is not a man that he should lie. And Jesus promised us in John chapter 14 that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that he will come again to receive his bride unto himself, so that where he is we may be also forever. This wonderful book, which has been the roadmap of my life, records the beginnings, the origins of mankind, and the origins of our universe. But the Bible also records many prophecies about the future, culminating in the book of Revelation, telling how things are going to end. God hasn't left us in the dark. The skeptics, the fault finders, and mockers would arrogantly have us believe in evolution and a history that ends in nuclear war, like a scenario out of the disturbing novel On the Beach fiction that offered no hope in a world dying of radiation after an atomic war. Who are we going to believe? For many years, I've been a student of eschatology, that's the study of end-time events, and despite the teachings of godless evolutionists, the Almighty left us a record of how the world began 
and how things are going to end. The Lord has declared the end from the beginning. Furthermore, Jesus listed for us all the signposts of his imminent return, including the regathering of the nation of Israel. In 2 Peter 3.3, the apostle warned that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So to reiterate reason number one why I believe Jesus will soon return is simply because he promised that he will. And the two witnesses or angels who stood with the disciples watching the ascension of Jesus to heaven testified that he's going to return in like manner in the clouds. During the preaching and teaching of Jesus' life and ministry, he made frequent statements regarding his return, and many of his parables are related to his second coming. Jesus' Olivet Discourse is about his second coming to the nation of Israel. So now, reason number two that I'd like to mention today is indicating the soon return of Jesus are the expanding peace deals in the Middle East brokered by the United States called the Abraham Accords. You see, God made a covenant with Abraham 4,000 years ago, and he declared that the land of Israel would be a home for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forever. And God made promises to the Arabs as well for territory. Finally, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain signed an agreement recognizing Israel's right to live in the Holy Land. The agreement is appropriately called the Abraham Accords. And interestingly, the Jerusalem Post newspaper reported that the seeds for the agreements were planted and watered and ultimately flowered through faith-based diplomacy conducted behind the scenes by evangelical Christians the same Christians who have been a driving force behind the White House's pro-Israel policy. Subsequently, Sudan has joined the Accords, and Saudi Arabia and others are reportedly soon to join. The reason why the Abraham Accords point to the Second Coming is that the end-time war prophesied in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 speak of the territories of Sheba and Dedan, which is the Arabian Peninsula today, not being part of the confederation that comes against Israel, while a confederation from the north, including Islamic nations such as Turkey and Persia, modern-day Iran, will invade. Many analysts believe that one of the latest signatories to the Abraham Accords, Sudan, will not remain faithful to the deal because that territory representing modern-day Sudan will join with the northern confederacy that attempts to invade Israel, but is defeated supernaturally by God. Now, if we join the skeptics and the mockers, we'll be without excuse, for the Lord told us to watch for certain end-time signs, and they're all around us, especially the reappearance of the state of Israel and the city of Jerusalem once again being reunited under Jewish sovereignty. Israel and Jerusalem are the two major end-time signs. When Jesus comes to claim his bride, the church, that will signal the end of the church age. The reason why so many people, even within the churches, 
do not understand the biblically sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture is that they don't understand the mystery of the church. You see, the church is described by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament as a mystery. It's a holy and separate entity consisting of both former Gentiles and Jews brought together into the body of Messiah called the one new man. And when the church is finally completed with the full number that God has in mind, Jesus will remove it and then the tribulation period will begin during which Israel will be brought to her knees and her judicial blindness towards Messiah removed. During the time of unprecedented tribulation, Israel will summons and finally welcome King Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. So the church is a mystery that is sandwiched in between the prophecy timeline that is outlined in the book of Daniel. You see, when Israel rejected Messiah, Israel was put on hold while the church was being completed. But the nation of Israel still has seven years of future prophecy to fulfill, according to Daniel 9.27. So when the church is removed, Israel's last seven years of history will begin to be activated. And only then can the Antichrist be revealed because the restraining power of the church will have been removed. Now, the fullness of the Gentiles is a Bible idiom for the full measure of the number of the body of Messiah, which is the church. And when the predominantly Gentile church is full and complete, the church goes out and then God returns to his program for the nation of Israel in a very intense way. The fullness of the Gentiles refers to the church age. It began at Pentecost and it ends at the rapture. And as soon as the mysterious rapture occurs, the blindness and hardening towards Jesus will be taken away from Israel. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that they'll look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him. All of Israel shall be saved, but it won't happen until Jesus completes building his church. Already this is beginning to happen and we're eyewitnesses. In my nearly 44 years of involvement with the nation of Israel, I have seen the progression of the times of the Gentiles and the restoration of Israel beginning to converge. These events are running parallel presently. At this time, God is beginning to restore the kingdom to Israel. The kingdom was not restored to Israel at the time of Jesus' first coming because the national leadership rejected salvation in his name, but they will receive him upon his return. This is a major reason why Jesus must return to restore Israel to the kingdom and to restore the kingdom to Israel. And that's why Iran and Israel's enemies are satanically inspired to try to destroy Israel before this can happen. But thankfully, God is in control. Now, a third reason we can be sure Jesus will return is that he must fulfill the remainder of Bible prophecies concerning himself. You see, not all of the ministry of the Lord Jesus was fulfilled at his first coming. His first coming was the hard part, the suffering servant part. At his second coming, 
he will receive the glory, the rule and the kingdom forever and ever. And no power on earth will be able to stop him. He'll come with great power and great glory and every knee will bow to him. He'll return so that he might receive the glory that's due to him. There are more than 300 Bible prophecies concerning Messiah, but so far, Jesus has fulfilled only about one-third of these prophecies. There are more than 200 remaining prophecies that Jesus must fulfill upon his second coming. And the Bible's track record concerning the first set of prophecies was not wrong. And the second set of prophecies involving his second coming will be fulfilled exactly on God's time schedule. And Israel will become the focus of God's attention once again. Jesus, Yeshua, will set up rule from the throne of his father David. And that's another prophecy that remains to be fulfilled. Because the angel Gabriel promised Mary, the mother of Jesus, that her son would be given David's throne. But that didn't happen at his first coming. It will be a future event. From David's throne, Jesus will judge the nations and he will separate the sheep nations from the goat nations. In those days, the Lord, the lion of the tribe of Judah, whose picture, by the way, is on Jerusalem's flag already, he shall roar out of Zion. Presently, we're living in Psalm 2, which asks, Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Mashiach. That's speaking of the Messiah, which means the anointed one. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord is having them in derision. Even if the United Nation fights God and his anointed son, God's final decree on the matter is verse 6 of Psalm 2. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill, of Zion, God says. And as the son of David and the son of Solomon, Jesus will judge with right judgment and he will divide the nations, those that have been obedient to God's word and who have served the nation of Israel versus the rebels, the goat nations who have opposed God and Israel. Now, not just Israel, but all the surviving nations are destined to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the scriptures say, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the Lord's address and capital. Can you understand why there's so much controversy over Jerusalem and why there's so much controversy over nations putting their embassies there? This is a city where Messiah will soon be ruling. So the nations are rebelling against God's end time plan. But Isaiah 59:20 declares that the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And according to Acts 1:11, this same Jesus who literally went to heaven will literally return to Jerusalem, not as a ghost, not a reincarnation of Jesus, not a false Messiah, but this same Jesus who made atonement and became the savior of the world. This same Jesus has promised to return, and I believe him. He's not a liar. 
I've walked with him for all of my life, and he's never lied to me. His word is perfect, refined as silver is refined, seven times. Keep in mind that the four Gospels are narratives. They are records of the ancestry, the birth, and ministry of Jesus, as well as his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. For the past nearly 2,000 years, he's been busy fulfilling a different ministry as our intercessor and high priest in heaven at the right hand of God Almighty. The book of Revelation reveals the risen Lord Jesus in his glorified body, in his heavenly ministry. But Jesus still has a work to be done on earth in his glorified state. Therefore, there's a fourth reason for the Lord's soon return. Jesus must return not only because of the promises he made to return, but because he must be vindicated as Messiah. It's a Bible principle, indeed, that God exalts all who humble themselves, and this certainly pertains to the Lord Jesus more than anybody else. The shame and degradation, the abasement and disgrace, the suffering and his self-effacing submission to God, his loss of face, all of the indignity, the dishonor given to the Son of God, the humiliation of the Messiah crucified as a common criminal. All of these unspeakable sorrows demand that he be vindicated publicly upon his triumphant return. At his resurrection, not everybody saw him. But at the second coming of Jesus, there will be a great vindication of the degradation and the humiliation that he suffered. The world will see him for who he truly is. The rejection of the man of sorrows, the dishonor that the world put Jesus through, demands that he returns so that his exaltation and glory can be seen and marveled at by the world. Now the rabbis teach that there are two sets of prophecies concerning Messiah. The first set describes Messiah, the son of Joseph. In other words, the Messiah who was humiliated like the patriarch Joseph in the Old Testament and who was sold by his jealous brethren. Many prophecies, such as Isaiah 53, concern Messiah as suffering servant, the son of Joseph. But there are other prophecies of exaltation concerning Messiah, the son of David, Mashiach ben David. These are the many prophecies of a triumphant ruler. Jesus has already fulfilled the humiliating prophecies concerning the suffering servant, the man of sorrows. Now what awaits him is the fulfillment of the glory prophecies. The son of David prophecies, the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah must return and be vindicated as the glory of the Lord fills the entire earth. The return of Jesus will be the greatest vindication of the word of God and of the Lord Jesus himself that this world will ever witness. Hallelujah. I can hardly wait. Although Jesus was surely vindicated by his resurrection, nevertheless, only believers actually saw him. But at his second coming, all eyes will see him as he truly is. There'll be no mistake. The second coming in power and great glory will be a vindication extraordinaire. The New Testament very carefully lists everybody who actually saw and handled the risen Lord Jesus and there wasn't a mocker or a skeptic in the bunch. 
But that old fox, Herod, didn't see him. Governor Pilate, who crucified Jesus, didn't see him after his resurrection. The high priest, Caiaphas, didn't see him. Only believers saw him. But the Bible predicts that the tables will be turned at the second coming. The whole world will see and acknowledge his glory. The word of God simply demands and promises this. Isn't that spectacular? I think it's wonderful. Now, Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm that Jesus actually quoted from the cross. It starts out with the famous cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first line of the psalm. Do you know that to quote the first line was Hebraic shorthand to reference the entire psalm? The psalm goes on graphically to describe the deep degradation and the humiliation of a crucifixion. It says, for example, dogs surrounded me. All my bones are out of joint. They pierce my hands and my feet. They cast lots for my garments. But God, who inspired the Bible, also sees the end from the beginning. And that's what I'm trying to communicate in this program. Jesus may have been humiliated, but he will be vindicated. Because this same messianic psalm concludes triumphantly with a vision of the Lord's second coming. Did you know that? Listen to the glorious conclusion of Psalm 22. It says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules as governor over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All will go down to the dust to kneel before him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. You see, the ending of Psalm 22 gives us the bigger picture. The second coming of Jesus is the bigger picture. The second coming will complete his story. Jesus, meek and mild, is only half the story. So don't overlook the fact that the greatest vindication of Jesus is coming. And that's when Jesus returns in triumph and strength. And all other religions will be shown to be false and inadequate when the lion of the tribe of Judah prevails. At his trial, why didn't Jesus try to defend himself? Because he knew it was his mission on his first coming to suffer and die in order to achieve atonement for Israel and the world. So he was silent like a lamb to the slaughter. He had no choice but to endure the agony. But even at his trial, when he was put under oath, Jesus prophesied about his second coming. He quoted both Daniel and the Psalms when he testified before the Sanhedrin, I say unto you, hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And to this the scriptures agree. Revelation 1-7 declares, Behold, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will mourn over him. Yes and amen. But there's another reason, a fifth reason that I want to share today, 
why Jesus must soon return. And that is simply the increase of lawlessness in the world. We need the Lord's rule. The Bible teaches that Satan shall shortly be crushed under the feet of believers and that the delay is one of the great mysteries of the New Testament. It seems that Satan is allowed to roam the earth wreaking havoc, but his evil will not be tolerated forever. Just for a season, while God has the church and Israel in spiritual boot camp training for eternity. God's delay is mentioned in Revelation 10:7. The idea being that time is short and that the fulfillment of God's mysterious plan will suddenly be delayed no longer. The good news is that while we see people becoming more and more filled with hate and lawlessness, the Lord is coming soon to deal with Satan. Legally, Jesus defeated the devil at the cross, but Satan's activity and ability to roam will be bound for a thousand years when Jesus returns. The book of Revelation also teaches that Satan will be loosed at the end of the millennial, at the end of the thousand year rule, but only so that hearts can be tested one more time. Those who lived and were born during the rule of Messiah's peace will be tested. And then and only then afterwards will Satan be banished to hell, to the lake of fire forever. So today I want to encourage you, don't grow weary in waiting for the glorious appearing of the Lord from heaven. The trial of our faith, said the Apostle Peter, is much more precious than gold. And in Titus 2.13, Paul admonished us to look for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of a great God in our Savior, Jesus the Messiah. That's not a false hope. It's our blessed hope. Don't let anyone rob you of this blessed hope through mockery of the second coming. The scoffers have lived in this world only a couple of decades, half a century or more, yet the Word of God has outlived the mockers and the naysayers. The present exaltation of Satan demands that Jesus return and take back the earth from Satan's tyranny. I'd like to bring my thoughts to a conclusion today by pointing out that I discovered in the book of Revelation that Jesus testified at least five times, behold, I'm coming soon. So either he's telling the truth or he's not. Whose testimony are we going to believe? Will we believe the puny mockers and the scoffers or will we hold fast to the promises of the King of the universe, the Lord Jesus, the Son of David? I've settled the matter in my heart and I believe all the signs post to the fact that he's coming very soon. The question remains, are you ready for the sudden appearance of the Lord in the sky? And how can you be ready when he comes? It's important not to delay your surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that when he comes, he appears as your savior and not your judge. Because you can't save yourself and the church can't save you. Only the savior is worthy to save you. This is the key. The Bible teaches in Romans 10, 9, that if you are willing to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Take that to heart. There's so much more to share with you, so please spend time exploring our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events, 
relating to the church and the nation of Israel. And at our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7. And we invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits. That's based on a verse in Daniel 11.32, which declares that the people who know their God, that's you and me, hopefully, we're going to be strong, not weak, and we will carry out exploits, meaning we'll do the works that God has called us to do before his imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, or you can contact us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Today I want to leave you with a word of assurance from the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake, because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark, Maranatha.